Hey family, it's Dr. Casperson today. Thanks for joining me. This is an Instagram Live I did with a good friend of mine, Dr. Kira Barr, who's an integrative dermatologist. She's really starting to focus on the perimenopause and menopause transition. We talk about so many things to help with anxiety. And as we know, if we have anxiety, depression, we're go, go, going, we're living in our cortisol brain, we're just doing sympathetic activation all the time, it's really bad for our sex lives. We have to drop into our body, relax, get into the parasympathetic to really enjoy great sex. So I think discussing perimenopause, menopause, anxiety, depression is so important because it's really part of a healthy mind and body, which aren't two separate things. Mind-body, it's one thing. And in order to have great sex, we have to be in the moment. We have to be relaxed. We have to not be thinking about tomorrow. We have to get our cortisol down so we can really enjoy pleasure. So I think these conversations, although not very specific to actual penis and vagina sexual intercourse and heterosexual people, is super important in talking about healthy, happy sex lives and our health in general. Because we want to live healthy because we're going to be here for a long time, God willing. So we spent about a third of our lives post-menopause. So we really, really need to keep this conversation going. Hope you guys enjoy. Love you so much. Welcome to You Are Not Broken, the only podcast that combines science, medicine, and psychology to re-educate your brain and help you live your best love life. And I'm your host, board-certified female urologist, Dr. Kasperson. All right, everybody, it is Kelly coming to you live on Instagram. I'll probably be recording this on my podcast, too, so hello, podcast listeners. Um, I hope you guys have all had a chance to listen to this week's episode, which is episode 111, which is with Dr. Jim Simon. He's actually a OB-GYN, reproductive endocrinologist, who has devoted his career to figuring out the truth about menopause and hormones. So it's amazing and fitting because we just had Menopause um, Awareness Day, which I think should be a year or at least a month. So I'm going to call on Dr. Barr because we are doing an Instagram live today. So here we go. And we're going to talk about menopause and anxiety. Everybody's two favorite topics. Um, oh, thank you. You like the podcast. Thank you so much. I love it. Hi, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm so good. I'm literally like just got done with a workout so everybody can see me with like, this is what real life looks like. Makeup free. pretty good. Makeup free. Yeah, totally. We're having a major storm right now with like tons of wind. It's taking all the leaves it's off the trees. Yeah. yeah. Because you're in South Washington. So I'm south of Seattle. Yeah. Yep. South Washington. Maybe you guys don't call yourselves South South Washingtonians. <laughs> I, I, I haven't lived here long enough to really get the lingo. I don't right? know. I don't know if people do consider themselves that or not. I call myself a, a Southern Canadian. Because I'm like 20 miles from the border, but I don't think no most people don't call themselves that. Um, okay, so introduce yourself for the people watching and um, tell us what you're all about. Yeah, so my name is Dr. Kira Barr by training. I'm a dual board certified dermatologist, dermatopathologist. Um, I've been working with menopause women with bi prescribing bioidentical hormones, right? Because women want to come to me thinking they want to look better. Really, they want to be feeling better. And despite balancing hormones on paper, the one thing that kept coming up over and over again is the heightened level of stress, anxiety, and overwhelm. 
prescription, what pill, what anything that they were given. And so the focus of my work has become really supporting women from that emotional mental well-being as they're making those transitions from menopause. Awesome. So what you're saying is, is let's break that down. Do, do hormones help or like even if you're on hormones, you could still have anxiety, right? 100%. Okay. 100%. And I think this is so important and fascinating. First of all, if you're experiencing anxiety and depression in menopause, you're not alone. And this is your theme, right? You're not broken. You're not broken. There's just some imbalances that you may have or you may need a different type of support. And I think it's so important that when we talk about symptoms of menopause, like hot flashes, mood swings, insomnia, brain fog, memory lapses. This is not just like an ovary problem, right? This is a brain problem, right? Our yeah. hormones affect our brains in such a significant way. Totally. And I think, you know, just the, just the whole, like, it, it comes down to sleep for me. Like if you're sleeping poorly, everything else gets messed up. Like your sex drive, definitely your sex life, your energy for your day, your like spark, right? Like sleep is so important and sleep disruption is huge in the menopause transition and doesn't just go away when like hot flashes go away for people. Absolutely. And just to take it one step further, I was talking about, you know, sleep is not just huge for mood and, um, you know, just productivity, all the things, but in terms of your skin, right? We talk about like beauty sleep and beauty sleep is real. Sleep is like the most rejuvenated thing that our, we can do for ourselves our body re literally repairs at night and unfortunately as our hormones are shifting and diminishing in menopause that ability to get high quality sleep can be impaired but it's not just the menopause transition itself that's that's playing a role yeah so, I mean, I think anxiety and depression is big for, like, any age group. Why are you, why are we focusing on the menopause transition? Is it because, like, they, they've been neglected in general, right? Like, when I think, like, anxiety, I think of, like, the 23-year-old college student. Um, talk to us about why this is so important in midlife. I think it's important for several different reasons. Number one, in midlife, like, we have a lot of responsibilities, right? When we're in our 20s, it's just us, and we're just focused on us like we don't have much else to take care of but in midlife you may have a family that you're primarily responsible for you have a career you might be sandwiched between your kids and your aging parents there's a lot of moving parts in midlife and trying to balance and juggle all those balls in the air can feel overwhelming at times add in the diminishment the natural decline of hormones and for some of us it's a bit more abrupt if there's a intervention, a surgical intervention, hysterectomy, hysterectomy that puts you, throws you into that, that transition a little sooner. Um, it's just, it, it can be compounded. Mm -hmm. And um, then add in like pandemic and life challenge, you know, things outside of ourselves that are not in our control. Yeah. And well, I think in society's expectations of like perfect women can handle it all, right? Like we have just so much like crap expectations thrown on us too. So, like, we feel even worse about not being able to handle it. A hundred percent. And I think for so many women, you know, the, patri the patriarchal um, norms and, and just this idea
idea that our worth is tied to how much we can do. Mm-hmm. And that's really hard when you feel exhausted and you feel like you're losing your mind in menopause. You're forgetting things and you don't feel like you can produce more. It can feel, it can just, it can just add to that sense of stress and anxiety. I recently saw this data looking at midlife women dropping out of the workforce because of menopause symptoms and it's to the tune of like millions and billions of dollars because women think it's them like and I think they don't think there's anything that can be done or like things to do so they drop out of the workforce and like that's huge financial impact to these women and their families and like society in general absolutely I think this is a huge problem and I know at least in Europe in in the UK especially there really are uh significant efforts being made to have these conversations about women in the workplace and how can we support women? What are the things that we can put in place to help women? Because we do make up a large portion of the workforce. We have so much value to add and we need that support. You know, it it isn't that there's something necessarily wrong with us. We may, we may be struggling, but it doesn't mean that we have to suffer unnecessarily. So I think it's so incredibly important that we bring these types of conversations to the forefront. I uh, I think you're right. I think it was a British publication that had talked about the dollars, the dollars to the workforce. Um, yeah. In some ways, I think the UK is ahead of America in menopause care. I think as a central, you know, they're more centralized healthcare. Like they're really starting to focus on it. They're really starting to come up with guidelines. Um, so it's impressive. I'm part of a couple of groups now that are kind of based over there. And like, it's impressive what they're doing. So, you know, certainly America is not at the forefront of menopause care. No. I'll put that, I'll, that's, I'll, that's how kindly I'll put that. <laughs> <laughs> no, although it is interesting, like menopause is a hot topic these days, right? Like it's menopause awareness month, but I am being, you know, contacted by companies on a, on a regular basis that are focusing now on menopause, which is so exciting and also interesting in terms of the timing and why these things are happening now but unfortunately I have nothing against skincare products and procedures and all that but like the beauty industry is a a 500 billion dollar plus industry which is really just hammering home the point that there is something quote unquote wrong with you that needs to be camouflaged, covered up, fixed, moisturized, hydrated, you know all the things (laughs) rather than addressing like what can we actually be doing from the inside out? How can we support our hormones and this transition without always having to think we have to look outside ourselves to the tune of, you know, the weight loss industry, $78 billion a year, $49 billion a year on just cosmetics, not even including aesthetic procedures. Look, the average American woman is spending upwards of $250,000 on her appearance in her lifetime. And yet, 96% of us don't feel beautiful, right? Like, these are crazy statistics. Add on to that, as we're heading into mid-age, right, in our 40s, 50s, like, until this point, I feel like this is a beautiful time in history, there weren't products specifically geared toward where at least I am in my life. We were invisible. Like, you know, it's like you you need to anti-age. Well, I'm sorry, I'm not aging in in reverse i'm not benjamin button like i am getting older (laughs) like this this shit is real like i am history is going forward 
<laughs> right, right. Yeah, to think otherwise is, you know, arguing with reality. So let's let's talk to the woman who's literally having like panic attacks. She's like waking up at two in the morning with anxiety. Where can we start? It's such an important point because we do not get taught how to self-soothe and it's, it's it's a powerhouse skill. Yeah. And it's so fascinating as a physician, right? I've been in medicine for over 20 years now. I had no clue. I wasn't taught any of this stuff. I had to learn the hard way when my health, you know, fell apart and I started learning, taking courses, working with mentors and really diving deep into mind-body medicine because I realized I was completely disconnected. I was just living in my head, completely cut off from my body, and forgetting all the basic pathophysiology of how our hormones work. Mm-hmm. Completely. It's a mind-body-skin um, connection. Yeah. I mean, the just reading something about, like, how we separated the mind from the body and how Western medicine has completely taken that. Oh, I was reading, um, have you, have you read when the body says no by Gabor Mate? I Gabor not. No. Oh, highly recommend. Stuff, it's really good. It's a little, it's a little, it's not brand new, but he really talks about like the history of separating the mind from the body and now how Western medicine, like it, to the point that Western medicine's like nothing that you think or do in the mind has any effect on the body. And he's like, over and over and over again we know that's not true but we're not we he says it's like a slippery slope of like people worry we're gonna tell people that they cause their own disease or something if we if we say like the way you think and the way you are processing trauma and the way like so he's very careful to like explain that all but it's it's a fascinating book because we western medicine is so separate mind body mind body Can we go into a little bit, if you, if you are able, the evolutionary, like, we have anxiety. I have to think for some point, anxiety helps keep the humans alive and, like, safe in the cave, right? Like, anxiety is not totally bad. It's just when it's, like, unchecked and, like, running amok, is it then kind of paralyzing? Can you kind of talk about, like, why we have anxiety and how it might a little bit of it be useful? Does that make sense? Because when we think of stress also, we think of emotional and mental stress. But 
come in so many different forms. Like, um, I keep looking out to the left because that's where my window is. But there's, like, you know, ultraviolet uh, radiation, there's air pollution, there's people you spend time with, there's, you know, emails in your inbox. Like, there's all different sorts of stressors, and we call that our exposome. But we need some level of stress to keep us out of harm's way and as a catalyst to move forward, right, to grow and evolve and thrive. So to a certain extent, we want a little bit of stress in our lives. And it's not stress in and of itself. It's our response to stress, what we're making that stress mean for us that creates the anxiety and the overwhelm that can be paralyzing. Yeah, yeah. And I think a lot of experts in the anxiety world they never promise, like, I'll make it so you never have anxiety again. Like, they, they never do that. The point is, you're going to have your anxiety, you're going to see it, you're going to manage it, you're going to live with it. You're not going to let it stop you from living this amazing life. Is that kind of in line with how you think? Absolutely. Listen, I am uh, tightly wound. I know this. I've even done my genetics. Like, I was born for this. And you can still say hi to it and it still might like knock, knock and you might still be able to hear it. Yeah. I think, you know, for me, it's when you get curious about it is like recognizing the patterns and now it's almost laughable. Like when I get a couple of emails in my inbox that I haven't answered, boom, there's my anxiety. There's my time scarcity. Like, and it's just to the point now of like, oh, well, I didn't need to open my email if I didn't want that to happen in my life because that's what always – it's like instead of like I'm anxious every day, it's like looking for actually those triggers to see them and to be like, oh, of course that's how you respond. It's how you always respond to that. Um, does that make sense? Like where people, they're able to see it and then it kind of loses a little bit of its power. to 
set boundaries and I turn off the notifications. I put um, in my calendar that I'm only going to address emails at certain times of the day so I can make sure I'm doing some self-care first, right? I always, in my calendar, I actually have pleasure first. I add things in to start my day off with something that's going to bring a little light and joy to my life so that when I go to that inbox, like I'm ready for it and limiting the time versus, so it's, it's an idea of like responding to your inbox rather than re- constantly reacting to it. Yes, how you respond. You have a choice in how you respond. You don't always have to react. And I think I always we always have to go back to sex because this is what it's about. But don't check your email right before you've planned to have sex with your partner. <laughs> and another thing like is plan to have sex with your partner, right? Just like anything else, like make the date. So I, I, I think that's such an important point. Yeah, such an things. important point. But if you're and I think you know let, we can get, let's get into it more because I I think my mantra for the end of this year is like getting more and more into my parasympathetic nervous system and like living there. Like I love my parasympathetic nervous system. And that is like a new discovery because I, you don't realize how much you're just living in sympathetic all the time in the modern yeah. world. Yeah, absolutely. There's so much there. Yeah, I mean, the parasympathetic system, I mean, our rest, relaxation. I mean, who doesn't want to feel good, right? And even, addressing your emails like getting into a frame of mind where you can do it from a place of fun like you can have fun with it right it's like ooh, what can I what can I get out of this experience how can I make this work for me um, because you're going to have to do the work anyway yeah. so I think finding ways to turn on that parasympathetic nervous system is so key and especially you know shifting back to the sex hormones and why this is so much more prevalent anxiety is so much more prevalent for women going through the menopause transition if you think about how estrogen and progesterone work right so estrogen um has such an impact on the brain for cognition and oh i lost your sound did you have a call oh there you go you're back I did, yeah. We're good. <laughs> I have a dentist appointment tomorrow, so they were just calling to right? me. Um, <laughs> all the things, right? She's taking but, care of herself, people. Exactly. And normally that would have freaked me out. Like, oh my God, I'm just, but I just, you just breathe, you just breathe through it. I'm like, it's just part of being human. Phone calls are going to come in. Things aren't going to go according to plan. Yep. There it is. Yep. And then progesterone. Um, so progesterone is actually a very relaxing hormone right it's what relaxes our bowels it helps us relax the uterus it you know and so it helps us sleep and so for for progesterone to go away we kind of I think even in the hormone replacement world we kind of poo-poo progesterone it kind of is the one that if anything causes breast cancer it's it's you know our non-bioidentical progesterone so it kind of gets poo-pooed a little bit but I think especially for people who have trouble sleeping progesterone can be very useful what do you think early on and for many women starting in their mid to late 30s even um, because and I'm not saying just willy-nilly give it but I know for myself especially had I gone to a clinician who really listened to the symptoms I was having 
essentially, now that I know more about hormonal health, like my progesterone was in the tank. And I think giving progesterone supplementation early on would have mitigated a lot of the symptoms and ultimately, in my opinion, would have made a difference in my choosing to have a hysterectomy down the road. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. So I th- well, I think a, it was, is that for heavy periods? Are you talking about? Yeah. yeah. So it turns out I, yeah, I had so much pathology once that uterus was removed. I was like, oh my God. And it all came back to stress. So here's where it's, this is why this is so important. Yes. As we are maturing and progesterone is going down and it is that great calmer because it has an effect on the neurotransmitter GABA, which has a calming effect on the brain. So as progesterone is going down, you know, the, the effect of GABA on the brain is going to go down. Estrogen also is playing a role in the brain. So many of the symptoms that we experience with menopause, take hot flashes, for instance. So your hypothalamus is where, you know, your brain, it's one of the centers that helps regulate body temperature. And estrogen plays a role in helping to regulate that effect, right? It plays a role in helping to modulate um, the production of hormones and, and the function of the hypothalamus. So as estrogen is going down, the ability to regulate temperature is going down. So that's where hot flashes. So hot flashes, this is just, just like, you know, an ovarian thing. It really is a brain thing. Now, let's look at stress. How does stress affect the brain? We think about the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis, that hypothalamus, right? So there's an inverse relationship between your stress hormone cortisol and your sex hormones. Your body is going to prioritize survival, your stress response, and cultivating all the resources it can get to create that hormone, that stress hormone, cortisol. So that you are in that sympathetic drive. Totally. Yeah. I think for, for so many women and their sex drive and their sex life is like, they're just like, go, go, go. It's on my to-do list. Let's get it done. Let's go. And they don't enjoy it at all. And it's like, you've got to get it off the schedule it, plan for it, prioritize it, but get it off of that like sympathetic oriented, like to-do and really learn how to two things drop into the body and then parasympathetic and I you know it it perplexed me for a long time because there's a lot of data saying that women who work out who are physically fit who move their body have better sex and I'm like I'll tell you after a raging like hard workout I am not interested in sex at all and I'm like that's because I am super sympathetic after a huge workout and of course I'm not interested in sex and then like you do a yoga or a movement workout or something that really gets you parasympathetic you're like yeah this this could be real good right now. So it's like paying attention to even to the type of exercise and where it puts you in like that arousal versus relaxation. 100%. And even though this isn't directly related, all, all I was going to say about the, the HPA axis and stress is your body's prioritizing cortisol, estrogen is going down. So naturally hormones are declining in estrogen. And then that HPG, that hypothalamic pituitary gonadal axis, is being shut down. So basically, stress is just eating up all whatever available estrogens your body's producing, so it's shutting it down. So, so important why managing your stress response and getting into that parasympathetic response is so key. But to your point about, like, working out, that's good for you, right? That you want those feel-good hormones and endorphins and, and all the other benefits that exercise can bring. So maybe 
either a self-massage or getting your partner to do that. And now this is actually from the um, dermatology literature, but I just was at an integrative derm conference was on my mind in terms of actually helping with atopic dermatitis and such. But they found, especially in, you know, bringing in a little bit of Ayurveda in here, using oils like jojoba oil or sunflower oil, especially in menopause, hello, dry skin, sunflower seed oil is actually so hydrating and has been shown to work very well for skin. Grapeseed oil, jojoba oil, even sesame oil. So just as a plug, if you want to experiment with some different oils, if you're looking for, you know, food in your pantry for massage oils with your partner, those work. And then 20 minutes worth of massage has been shown to really make a significant difference in resetting that nervous system, release of oxytocin, those feel-good hormones. And then as you're shifting, so you get the best of both worlds, you exercise, a little touch, and then you can move right in and help you be more present because that's where great sex comes from, right? It's being in the moment. Part of where, you know, we orgasm all amazing tips yeah and I think the thing about like a like CrossFit style like lifting weight exercise is like maybe not sex right after that because you're still so sympathetically activated but what that style of exercise is going to do is it's going to relax you for later on right because you will have gotten out all that energy and you are going to be a lot more relaxed and so it's still very good for you just maybe not like right after it and I think also just as you had mentioned earlier just being so in tune with your body because exercise is good is not better and for some of us and I say this from experience I used to run ultra marathons thinking more is better and I wound up running myself literally into the ground and my cortisol levels were so high which is what tanked my sex hormone levels in addition to I was heading into perimenopause so any resources that I had left were, were really getting consumed by my body just trying to deal with the stress that I was putting upon it. So I think it's so, so important. And I think, especially in midlife, as women, looking at beauty norms and how we should look, you know, the size of our thighs, all of these things, it puts a lot of extra pressures on us to think that we need to diet, deprive ourselves, exercise more. And it's actually doing us a disservice, making our menopausal symptoms worse, driving our stress response, and just it's it's adding to the problem. It's not helping. So totally. I think exercise is great, but tune into your own body of what feels good, and do exercise that brings joy, like not punishing yourself for what you ate, but celebrating what your body can do. Totally. Yeah. They've, they've done studies on this. So especially when we're talking about anxiety and depression, right? Like moving our body exercise is very therapeutic. It's very good for us to the, to the equivalency of antidepressant medications in some studies. But when you're looking at sex, so women who exercise have, have better sex lives, 
up to a point, exactly what you're saying. And they have a study on this. If you're over six hours, this is just one study, but if you're over six hours a week, your sex life goes down again. And they think, they think maybe these people are doing it more for other reasons, or they've got body image issues more than the women who are exercising left. Like there's a, it's literally a bell shaped curve of like poor sex life, greater sex life drops off again. Um, exactly to your point. They've, they've done research on this. So more is not better. Um, yeah. Let's talk about breathing because I'm the, I'm a surgeon. I'm a type, I'm an eight Enneagram. And so like, oh, I'm only coming into this, like, yeah, breathing doesn't work for me, but it wouldn't work for me. And now that I'm getting into breathing, I'm like, God oh, darn it. It works for me too. <laughs> so like I came into breathing, like fighting, mm-hmm. not, not fighting, maybe not fight, resisting breathing. Yeah. But can you talk about breath work and anxiety a little bit? Yeah, it's insane. <laughs> yeah. Again, and then there's chaotic breathing. I mean, there's all sorts of breathing. If you're not the kind, like, as a surgeon, sorry, I did not mean to cut you off, but there are some of us who it's really hard to sit still and breathe, right? Because you're so agitated, and that's where other forms of breathing, and I teach other methodologies where you don't have to be just sitting and, like, ohm, and, like, because that doesn't feel right for some people. So it just... Yeah. And just to, you know, for the people who are just joining is like our ability to self-soothe is not taught. Right. And a lot of what we're talking about is like moving the body, breathing, being aware of your triggers for anxiety, knowing that you are your own best solution to some of your biggest problems. Um, Before we wrap it up, I got to plug, I got to plug alcohol, man. I just saw, I, I just saw a woman menopause transition horrible anxiety not sleeping drinks red wine every single night and i'm like you've got to stop the wine man you've got to stop the alcohol and like people don't understand the role of alcohol and anxiety can you explain that for us Alcohol. 
terms of mess with your hormones, right? We were talking about cortisol, stress hormone, the sugar and the alcohol and the alcohol itself is like causing a spike in your insulin and in the, the blood sugar roller coaster you're going to go on. And that is going to create these water instability. Like you're going to have more hot flashes. It's going to mess with your sleep, which is going to affect your mood, which is going to affect your productivity. I mean, it is a vicious cycle. Your whole circuit. It's a vicious cycle. And then you're, and you're, you're anxious and stressed. So you, then you, you solve it with alcohol. Yeah, I love it. And I think, you know, my job of like, I'm not telling everybody to just like get off the sauce immediately, but I want people to examine their relationship with it, if only for a personal growth tool of like, why aren't we told that this thing is completely bad for us? We're told it's completely good for us, right? But we're, if we're asking our liver to do a totally unnecessary job in clearing this alcohol out of our body, it can't do all the other things that we need it to do, let alone the brain and all the other things that, that are affected by alcohol. And going back to derm, skin, your skin looks way better when you don't drink. Oh, my gosh. Can we even talk? Just, again, like, yes, yes, and yes. And because especially the impact that the sugar in those drinks that we're having totally destroys our skin, increasing accelerated glycation's end products, which glom onto your collagen, your elastin, making them more friable, contributing to your fine lines and wrinkles. And then the sleep issue. I mean, if you are not sleeping, this is when your skin repairs itself. That balance between cortisol, which is supposed to go down at night, and your melatonin that's supposed to go up, it's totally mishmash, and you, your cortisol levels are staying high, and cortisol is the enemy of your skin. Yes, totally. This, this in uh, barrier makes it dry, irritated, breaks down your collagen, prevents new collagen from forming for so many reasons, right? Getting Learning how to, listen, we can't get rid of stress, we want some stress, but how to learn how to manage Totally. Well, let's sum let's summarize for people just so people are like, did they actually give us any tips? Because I think we talked about a lot. Um, <laughs> prioritize sleep. Prioritize 
discovering what your stressors are, pay attention to the sympathetic, dropping into the parasympathetic. I'd cut out the alcohol. Um, anxiety, know that it's very common and the goal is not to get rid of it, but it's to see it, manage it, not let it own your life. What else do we talk about? Those are amazing tips. Breathing. We talked about, we talked about breath work. We talked breath about work? the power of soothing self-touch. Um, oh, yeah. Exercise, but not over-exercising, learning what your body does. The power of um, self-massage as foreplay uh, to get you in the mood and switch you into parasympathetic for your own just overall enjoyment um so many things but i think the key thing is understanding stress is a normal part of life and it's so important to have tools in your toolbox to help you learn how to modulate your own stress response so that you don't feel overwhelmed and anxious all the time that you are back in the driver's seat and you can put anxiety next to you it's along for the ride I love it. Tell us what you have coming up as far as your courses and your teaching. Yeah, so right on target with this, I am uh, launching, it's called Midlife Freedom, and it's a very intimate group of uh, women to help teach all of these tools that can equip you to navigate the anxiety, the overwhelm stress that so many women are experiencing at this time of life. Because what I have found, number one, menopause is still a taboo topic in many areas women don't necessarily know what to expect and it's that unknown that's creating the anxiety so to be able to create open communication about the menopause experience to connect in community um, and be able to also learn the skills and tools so that you can feel more calm and relaxed and be able to enjoy this time of life I mean imagine how much more time and energy you would have right if you didn't have to worry about all the other things I love it. Where can people find you? Yeah, so I'm here on Instagram at Dr. Kira Barr and my website, drkirabar.com. And then there's more information about the program. Always send me um, a message. But on my website, it's drkirabar.com. And then it's Midlife Freedom. People want to learn more about it. Awesome. I'm going to pick on you. Did you ever get your podcast up and running? Oh, my gosh. So I recorded it. So I got, I recorded my, my intro. You got your sign episode. up. That's what good girlfriends do, right? They call yeah, each other exactly. out. They push them forward. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks for taking the time to meet with me today. This was oh, great. Thank you so much. Awesome. We'll talk to you soon. Okay. Bye. Okay. Bye-bye.